Hello and welcome to Magic Time by Monorail News Weekly. I'm Gray Hauser, and with me today is Rob from Rob Plays, the popular YouTube channel where he explains all things Disney. You know, like, what about the mosquitoes that should be all around property? How does Disney have some weird relationship with McDonald's where they sold french fries in the park for a period of time? Why aren't there more monorails? And things like that. Rob, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We're absolutely, I'm so excited to have you because we've been following you for a really, really long time. Um, I think before you even started doing um, Disney content, we were um, huge fans. And it's a pleasure to now know the person behind uh, the video screen. Um, If that's not something that's ever been said before, probably that's... (laughs) <laughs> a little off, but um, let's jump right into it. So, Rob, what got you first into Disney? Uh, into Disney as a hobby, or like Disney videos? Disney as a hobby. I've been a Disney, Disney as a hobby, and then Disney as videos. Uh, I grew up a, a Disney fan. Like that was a big like it was part of our family. My uh, my my mom went to Disney a lot when she was a kid. Uh, although she was older when Disney World opened, but it, it was a Disney, they were a Disney family. And so naturally, when my sister and I were growing up, we were part of like a Disney family. That was our normal vacation spot. And so I uh, I grew up with that being the, the place that we were always going to. And I, I always consider myself lucky because uh, I feel like everybody has these formative teenage years where you're very like jaded about a lot of things. But we didn't do Disney for that stretch of like four or five years. And so I feel like I loved Disney when I was younger. And then suddenly I'm in college and I still love Disney and never had the opportunity to like fall out of love with it. And um, it was just something where my, my love of the parks kind of just evolved because, you know, when I was younger, it was all about the rides and just the magic of the place. And then as I got older, I began to find myself more and more interested in what makes the place tick? Like what, what goes into creating that magic for uh, all of the guests. And so I started reading into the history of the place and how it's run and operated. And to me, that became as exciting as, you know, actually going on the ride. And so when I found myself with a YouTube channel uh, going on, I think like seven years ago now, it was primarily video game based, but I had one particular week where I had to put this, Minecraft video out and I was sticking to a schedule even though it wasn't a job I treated it like one and I had to put out this video but I really wasn't in the mood and I had the Disney trip coming up and I was just like you know I'm in the mood to talk about Disney with somebody why don't I kill two birds with one stone why don't I make a video about Disney and it just so happened that there was this Minecraft server that was a near one-to-one scale recreation of the Disney parks and so I thought oh let me make this video where I'm walking around and exploring the space while talking about what I do know and have taught myself about the Disney parks, the real, the real Disney parks. And that video ended up doing better than anything else I had put out at that point. And so I kept doing it with the other parks, which kind of grew into doing a whole series on each uh, specific ride. And then eventually as I realized I didn't need the Minecraft footage to, to run against it, it started to evolve into kind of what it is today, which is, more traditional, like almost mini documentaries about these little pockets of history of Disney. And, you know, we, we really find those to be, to be great because they're so, they're bite-sized, right? And I think that lends to their almost 
viral nature, right? That you have your videos sometimes appearing on like the front page for all Microsoft Edge users. Yeah, that was wild and definitely unexpected. And uh, in the world of video, that kind of stuff never planned. Uh, it's funny. You never know which ones are going to be the big ones. Uh, both the, the one on, you know, why there aren't that many mosquitoes on property. And then also the smell of the water and the use of bromine for like my two biggest videos right now. And they were both videos that I actually thought weren't going to do very well. And they of course end up do, you know, doing better than anything else. Uh, but yeah, I keep them short primarily because, you know, it took me years to learn what is, I think, mostly a cliche, which is, you know, you want to create the kind of content you enjoy watching yourself. And uh, for me, that is these sort of bite-sized, educational, informative videos. And also as a lazy editor, every time I write, I always think another minute of script is another minute of video I have to edit. So let's keep it as short as possible. And let's make sure, you know, it's kind of like that saying of, uh, a script's not perfect when you've added everything you can think to add. It's perfect when you've taken out everything you can, uh, you know, you can stand to remove. So that's kind of how I approach it now. Yeah, I put myself on mute there. But, <laughs> um, right, I do think that the viral nature of your videos almost puts it in line with like a Disney version of Vox or a Disney version of Cheddar on YouTube, right? That there are these short viral videos that will explain you know sometimes very complex topics like you know international diplomacy and you know the u.s's relation to you know the rest of the world militarily right and of course obviously your topics aren't as um consequential as that except for maybe the ones you did on the gas prices uh and the mm -hmm. gas uh crisis that we really had in the 70s um, here in the United States with um, flare-ups in the Middle East. But um, you typically don't delve into very th serious topics, you know, on a global scale. You do keep it um, very, very Disney-focused. And we think that's really interesting because you didn't live anywhere near Disney for most of the time you were making these videos. You lived in New York. Yeah, I was in New York City my whole life. Uh, I think a large part of it is I mean, that's part of it, right? I was coping with the fact that I was nowhere near the park. So my outlet for my Disney fandom started with reading a lot of books about Disney uh, and then kind of evolved into making this content about Disney. And so, you know, now that I'm, I'm actually down by the parks and I've been here so much more regular, you know, I've gone more days in the past couple of weeks than I think I have in the last few years. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves and if that changes anything, but uh, I, I found myself getting more interested in not only, you know, Disney as like this sort of like independent little bubble, but also how it impacts the world around it. Because, you know, obviously Disney World was a massive, like it was a massive change for Florida back then. And it still is. And it is it is a big influence on the local region. And so the stories I like to gravitate towards you know, while my most popular videos are more about operations and how they do this or how they do that, some of my favorite ones to create are, you know, how how are they operating within this larger region of central Florida and how does that work? I think it's very fascinating. I think it's one of the few examples we'll ever see of something like this. Like, you know, the idea that they have their own 
improvement district that they essentially govern themselves, I don't think we'll ever really see again with a company. So, you know, something that fascinating, I love to focus on and, and try and learn more about the history of. You're speaking of corporate self-governance, I watched a, a very interesting, very funny video from that guy on YouTube casually explained, and he was talking about Elon Musk, and there was a bit about how mm-hmm. SpaceX wants to control Mars. And he goes, well, that might scare you, one corporation controlling an entire planet. At least now when you're visiting Earth, you can say you're visiting Disney World. <laughs> Which is a- – I mean, yeah, that, that would be real <laughs> – Mars, I think, is opening a whole other – that's a whole other uh, can of worms there. But um, it's interesting that they point out that and and SpaceX and Elon Musk because I think a large part of what made Reedy Creek possible was the sort of cult of personality behind Walt Disney. And we don't really have a Walt Disney today anymore. But if we had to pick people who were close to that idea, I think it would be people like Musk or Steve Jobs or you know just personalities like that. Right. Um, so we're talking about um, expansion of um, of companies, and it feels like Disney's taking over the world right now. I mean, they have Star Wars and Marvel and Pixar, and they just bought Fox, and you know that's a massive, obviously, opportunity for the company in terms of new IPs, but also for you, right? Because you cover Disney, and now you can kind of branch out into Marvel and Star Wars and Fox properties, and you know we've kind of experienced that you know with what we do on monorail news right is do we start covering star wars and marvel and you know fox or do we stick to the core disney brand right do you right do you think that you'll start expanding your coverage and maybe cover you know the history of fox um or you know the other properties that disney's um acquired that's a great question. I mean, that's certainly not out of the picture. I think that's an interesting road to take it down. You're right that it does expand the history. I personally love, you know, what I try to call like the contextual history of things. Um, maybe it's because I've been covering Disney for so long that it adds a little bit of variety, but I enjoy giving people kind of a perspective that you might not otherwise get from your average Disney book. So that, yeah, certainly I think being able to cover the history of Fox is, you know, a possibility. I think more likely for what I would do is to go down the road of kind of, I don't know how the best way to describe it, but I like touching upon subjects that are just tangentially related to Disney. So the example that I like to give that I've actually done is, you know, I did a video on the history of press pennies, you know, press coins, uh, which you can find in a lot of places, a lot of different amusements around the world. It's not exclusive to Disney at all. It happens to be popular at Disney, but it's just like an element. And so my thought process is for the real Disney fan who knows that there are these press coin machines all over the place, it gives that added historical context of like, well, where did that come from? Or, you know, I did a history on just the, the uh, rose gold, you know, as a piece of jewelry, uh, because there was this whole wave of rose gold, everything at Disney. So that's the road I see myself going down more of is just like, you know, I'd sooner probably explain the history of drop rides than go into the history of Fox. But because they now own Fox, I certainly wouldn't shy away from the topic if, if something interesting comes up. I mean, that's really it at the end of the day is I, I, I look for stories that interest me. And so far, I haven't found one where I, I turn it away because it's not connected enough. Like if I go off the beaten path every once in a while, I'm, 
I'm totally fine with that. Right. And, you know, I think you, you bring up like how Disney intersects with history, right? A lot of that is unintentional, right? Like press pennies or, or drop rides mm-hmm. or log flumes or what have you. But some of that is intentional, right? Like you look at Disneyland, the park, and you see that that is very much a, a reinterpretation of American history, right? It's the history of America as we want it to be, not as it was, right? You have mm-hmm. an idealized Main Street, right, where you have you know, a barbershop quartet. The member of that barbershop quartet might be African-American, right? That wouldn't have happened in 1900, right? But we'd like to believe that could have happened in 1900. And um, I'm talking really fast now because I'm trying to get a lot out in a short period of time and give uh, most of the airtime to you. But um, – you know, Frontierland is the same, right? It's not about the conflict between Native Americans and frontier settlers. It's about the resolution, right? You have, you know, the Indian village back in the 50s and 60s where Native Americans would come and teach people about their culture, right? And the mm-hmm. next door you had the, you know, the frontier town that's still there today, right? And there was no conflict there, right? It was both sides living in peace and harmony, yada, 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 yada. Um, do you think that that interpretation of history as seen through the lens of um of Disney is something that you'd ever be interested in um covering? Um potentially like I mean t- I mean to to address what you were talking about before, you know, that's such a I think classic approach that Disney takes is it Walt's always, it's the idealized version of everything, right? Because he's creating a place where people want to escape to. Um, I never really saw myself as the kind of person who wants to like take that idealized version and then show like the gritty reality. Because in most of these cases, you know, obviously, yeah, the, the reality of the history wasn't as clean cut as Disney makes it out to be. However, if I find that it's a history that I'm interested in telling in general, I would certainly not want to shy away from the realities of it. Uh, but I find myself more drawn less to events and more towards like structures and concepts and ideas. So the other video that I've done that I was really uh, had a fun time with was doing a video on the history of the Hotel del Coronado, which was the main inspiration for the Grand Floridian over at Disney World. And so, you know, there were bits of that history. There wasn't anything particularly uh, controversial about that history. Uh, but, you know, th- when I want to tell that kind of story, then, you, you know, I want to tell it the way it is. Telling, like, you know, I feel like, to me, that might be treading too close to the idea of, you see, when movies are trying to nitpick too much on, like, the inaccuracies. And I think there's a certain point where you go, well, this is meant to be entertainment. So, it's in a roundabout way of answering this. I guess I would say if I find myself wanting to tell the history that's connected to that place, I would try and tell the real and accurate history of it. But I wouldn't go out of my way to say like, well, this is how it really happened as opposed to how Disney's, you know, uh, deciding to tell that story. It really has to boil down to like, what about that history? Am I really interested in telling? And so uh, I also like really tend to lean towards, you know, company history that I think is a little less known uh, because to cover like if, it's funny if you look at my my videos lately, it's rare that I'm covering the park themselves, the parks or the rides themselves. So I think there's less opportunity for that to happen. It's more like 
here's that one time in 1993 where this thing happened or that thing happened. So uh, if the history comes up, then I, of course, cover it the way it should be covered. But otherwise, it's not like I seek it out. So you don't think you would um, cover anything that some might think uh, is controversial in any way? Is that intentional or do you shy away from covering something uh, like even controversial within the Disney community, right? Like Michael Eisner, right? Or do you try and avoid conflict or to, you know, to try and stay in everyone's good graces or, or are you okay with picking a side sometimes? Oh, I'm certainly okay with picking a side. I've actually, I've, I've taken a lot of stances on the channel that I think Disney fans have not been a fan of. Um, the one that I think is the biggest, as I've said before, I don't think there's a single ride at any Disney park that is too sacred to be replaced. You know, not Walt even Haunted built Mansion. It with his own, not even Haunted Mansion. If the idea to replace it is right and it's time, then I think it's time to replace it. I don't think anything should be there. You know, I think when it comes to any attraction, you have to ask, well, why are we keeping it? And the answer should never be because Walt liked it or Walt built it or Walt designed it or because it's been around forever. It's got to be because guests are enjoying it because it's still, you know, relevant. Um, and so I think because of that, I would say at one point or another in time, every ride's going to be up for the ability to be like replaced. And that has not gone over well with a lot of Disney fans who personally find some attractions to be essentially sacred and like how can you touch this you know tiki room Walt. that was like a project of Walt. that was we the can burn original the tiki room to the ground i don't care <laughs> and I, you know what to to, to add on to bit. that i do think there needs to be a, an effort to preserve a lot of this stuff but i i don't think the parks are the place to do it and i don't think keeping them up and operational are necessarily the way to do it so um you know, to that end, I, I don't try and stay away from like Disney controversy. I certainly won't run to controversy for the sake of like getting clicks or views. I don't find that to be very fun to produce. Uh, there are certain topics, sure, that I'll I'll shy away from just because Disney might really they might draw a line at that point, and it really comes to more practical matters. I think one topic that I've gotten requests for a lot is like the inner workings of Disney security. And it just kind of undermines the concept of security to kind of try and break that down. Not that I even would know any of that stuff, but even if I did, I, that would be like one topic where I'd probably draw a line in the sand and say, like, I'm not going to cover this. Uh, but otherwise, for the most part, I don't think anything's off limits. It really does have to pass through this one filter of like, am I just personally interested in it that week? Because my outlook's always like, I'm going to spend the next week or two immersed in this world of the topic i'm covering do i want to do that for something i don't like not really because then it becomes a normal job and then i could probably just go do another normal job you know so it really just my my one litmus test is like am i interested in it right so we're gonna take a quick commercial break and then we'll be right back with more rob we're gonna talk about his research and then just some other general disney stuff um we'll be right back Have you heard about Anchor? If not, let me introduce you. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. It has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast from your phone or computer. 
They distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. And you can make money with your podcast with no minimum listenership. Whether you have 10 listeners or 10,000 listeners, Anchor will find you sponsors. It's really everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. See you on the other side. Welcome back to Magic Time by Monorail News. As you know, we have Rob from Rob Plays here. And he was just talking about how he spends weeks immersed in research for any given topic he's doing a video on. Could you talk to us a little bit about your research pros- uh, prospect? Your research sure. process, uh, Rob. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so, I mean, it, it varies depending on topic, especially depending on like when the process took place. So, I'm earlier mentioned doing a video on the Hotel Del Coronado, which was built at the turn of the century. So it was mostly like books and newspapers, a lot of reading into things. Um, However, just as a for instance, uh, the other week I was working on a video about an event that took place in Epcot in the mid 1980s. And so on top of all of the newspapers that I'm looking at and, you know, books and written testaments about things, I also get to look at video, which is nice and watching televised events. I think that's kind of the beauty of covering something that's like a media giant like Disney is they often would kind of almost pre-research a lot of this stuff for you by creating these televised, uh, you know, uh, big like hoopla's about whatever it was. I did a video on uh, this Disneyland parade, for instance, called Light Magic, and uh, it was a failure of a parade. It only ran for the one summer, disappeared, and uh, just to kind of give you a peek into how that research process works is, you know, a lot of it was reading newspaper articles from before the parade, the lead up to it, you know, when it initially launched, uh, getting a lot of these little stories after the fact, uh, looking into people's like, you know, their accounts of the parade itself. Although I take that, I think a lot less seriously because again, it's, you know, that's when you're talking about anecdotal evidence, that's not a very good form of research unless, you know, you're interviewing people who have been there. So, uh, you know, I take all that into account, but then they also did a televised one and a half hour special about it where they had whole segments from behind the scenes. Uh, and so I, that's kind of where I'll pull a lot of that from. And for me, I try to focus on things that have been reported and that have been confirmed. And so where something like light magic, I, you know, I know there are stories out there that kind of go into the gritty of like what was going on behind the scenes, but so much of that is, just he said, she said that I leave that out of my videos because I, you know, it could be true, could not. I don't want to be the one who, you know, throws it out there without fully knowing. And uh, my approach to all these videos is always like, I want to whet people's appetite. You know, the best compliment I could ever get on a video is when people say that they got, they were interested in a subject from a video and then they went on to go read a book or, you know, dig into it themselves. Because I, you know, if, if I can't sum it up in like five to 10 minutes, then I'm, I either don't have enough there or I'm going too far into detail and I'm, I'm 
you know, that's kind of not how I want to go about doing things. So the short of that is a lot of reading of old newspapers, a lot of reading of books from, you know, ex-imagineers and things like that. And then occasionally, you know, scraping, you know, what people are saying online. But that one's a little tougher. If there's one thing I've learned about the research process over these years is that the internet could be wrong about a lot of things. Uh, you know, it's opened my eyes a lot about things like Wikipedia and how often Wikipedia articles are actually incorrect and don't have correct information. So for every one video you put out, how many topics do you think about doing and throw out? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, depends on the week, but I would say maybe two or three. It's not many. Uh, a lot of the times it's, because here's the thing, it's more than anything, while researching one topic, I'll stumble across another one. I mean, and I don't know if that luck is going to last forever, but I've had so many instances where I'm looking at articles about an old event, and then suddenly I see mention of something else that happened and go, I didn't know about this. And I look into it and I go, this is a whole other video topic I can cover. Uh, so in those instances, it's kind of the opposite. I'm just drawing new topics out of old ones. Uh, rarely though, will I get far into researching a topic and then give up on it. It's usually within the very beginning of just mulling over the idea where I'll go, I, my gut tells me there's not going to be enough here for a full story or, you know, it's not interesting to me. Uh, I have had plenty of like topics on my calendar where the week comes up and I'm like just not in the mood and then I'll push that to another week. Uh, only in maybe a handful of cases have I pushed back topics so often that I eventually go, all right, I'm never going to cover this topic. And then I just drop it. Or luckily another channel will cover it. And then, you know, I don't feel the need to cover it anymore. So you talk about other channels, you know, and you're friends with Defunct Land and Disney Dan and all of these other people. Do you think you're in competition with any of them? Or is there maybe not even like serious, like I want to crush Kevin into the ground, but like, you know, <laughs> friendly competition. Uh, I don't think there is. It's really bizarre because I've worked in media before this and it's not like that. Typically, uh, even within, you know, YouTuber spaces, it's not like this, but we are a pretty friendly group of creators. Um, not, I mean, you mentioned Defunct Land and Disney Dan, but there's also like Yesterworld Entertainment and Park Ride History and, you know, Theme Park Stop with Alicia Stella. Like, I feel like what's really great about the space is we all have our own corner and we have our own voice that even though we're all kind of drawing from the same well, it very rarely feels like we're competing with each other. A great example is just the other week, I did this video on the history of McDonald's and Burger King and Disney. And uh, Kevin from Defunct Land did a video on the history of McDonald's and Disney and that larger, uh, that larger kind of history. And the truth of the matter is, we didn't plan that at first. Uh, we were both independently working on our videos. And it was only like over dinner did we uh, talk about like what we were each working on. And it came out that we were both working on this McDonald video. And it, it started with like this short moment of panic of like, oh, no, we're, are we going to be stepping on each other's toes? But the thing is, Kevin is so focused on the creative aspects of what Disney does. So like he worked a lot on, you know, how they were integrated into the parks and their involvement with the attractions and what that did for like kind of the footprint of the parks. Whereas I'm very business focused and I'm curious as to like, why would you make this decision to partner with one company or over another or change? 
And so very quickly we realized our scripts were more complements to one another than they were competition. And so we turned that into a collaboration opportunity and like we altered our scripts just a little bit and we, we made sure that they interlocked a bit, a bit better. But I think that's the example there is I, I rarely feel like there have been a channel or videos where we go, well, you know, they're doing it the same way I would, you know, even when it comes to topics where we both cover it, uh, I think there's enough of a unique voice to each that it, they almost work better together. It's, it's bizarre. And I, I kind of say this hoping I'm not jinxing it, but the, the Disney YouTube space has been like so unbelievably friendly. I love it. Yeah. The blogosphere is not like that. <laughs> no, no. Which is why I'm a kind it's of really surprised. Competition. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's because we focus so much on history that we're not rushing to try and get people's eyes on what's happening today here in the now. It's really, we're going back to history that, you know, if you cover the parks, it goes back to 1955. If you cover, uh, you know, Disney as a whole, it's like the 20s. So there's so much there that just the amount of times we're stepping on each other's toes is, is rare. It just rarely happens. Right. And, you know, I think that that's something that's kind of funny with uh, the blogosphere, right? It's that, like, everyone picks sides. Like, even if you're not in the blogosphere, you pick sides, right? Like, do you like Tom Corliss or not, right? You you have a decision that you have to make as a Disney fan on that. And, and that, I think, affects what you read, right? Like, some people really, 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 really don't like Lou Mangiello, right? It goes very nice, and a guy that, you know, I know, and he's always sugary sweet, right? Like, Disney can do no wrong. But right. you, you look at someone like, um, I don't know, a Ricky Briganti, right? He's, he's no longer doing Disney blogging, but he was always, like, a level below that, right? A little, little more of a realist, right? And would, like, acknowledge when they didn't get things right. Right. Or you read like Mice Chat and it's like, do you really even like Disney? Like you seem to right. hate it. Like And there are different levels to all of that. And and I don't think any one of them is particularly right or wrong, you know, with any sort of fandom. I mean, there's certainly you look at any other type of media or entertainment and you see that level of fandom where there, there are people where it's like everything is rose tinted and amazing and then you've got people where yeah again you ask that question do you even like the thing that you're into here uh, and i think people will gravitate to whatever mostly aligns with their outlook on the hobby and uh so i think that's kind of why they all have a place to thrive and grow i think with news it gets to a little bit in the realm of like well okay how much can you trust the news source and the accuracy and what are you even looking for? Especially because, you know, this is, it's a Disney, right? At the end of the day, as much as I love Disney, I'm willing to admit this is all, you know, luxury entertainment. None of this is crucial to my life. You know, this is not different from dealing with like world events. So uh, on, on one hand, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily looking for the most hard hitting investigative journalism because this is just the thing I love to love. Uh, but everybody's different. You know, some people are so into it, they want that kind of level of, of uh, detail, and so they find that outlet for it. You know, and I think that uh, you know, we're kind of in the interesting space of we're all reporting on the same thing, right? Like there are a level mm -hmm. of basic facts that, that, is, that are happening, and there are only so many ways you can phrase those things, right? So what we're bound to come out with is something that's remarkably similar, 
And the only real material difference is in who's presenting it to you, right? It's what spin do you take on it, right? It's not like we're reporting and everyone has their own niche, right? It's not like only one person's reporting on Tokyo Disneyland. There's one person reporting on Disneyland Paris, right? We're all reporting on all of it. And that makes your voice and who, who you sound like and your opinions are almost more important than the news you're putting out. Sure. I mean, it is a filter that it all goes through, which can impact what it looks like at the end of the day. Uh, And I think video is very similar in that way of, you know, at the end of the day, I always consider that all I have is my word and I, that is precious because if I lose it, I can't get that back again, which is kind of why I take care to try and make sure these videos are accurate and I are away from, you know, throwing rumors out there. But uh, it's very similar. You know, people gravitate towards Defunct Land because uh, Kevin's got a very unique approach to how he tells these stories. And I could, I could topic by topic cover everything he's covered, and it would still be a wildly different end product just because he and I look through all of these things with a different lens. And um, that's kind of both the beauty and the madness of, I guess, what we all do is you have that ability to do so many different things, but at the same time, it makes it harder to go, well, which one is the quote unquote right one? And there probably isn't. Right. And, you know, I think that it's kind of funny because, you know, we're trying to amass uh, with Monroe News, right? A group of people who all have different opinions and who all have, you know, a different voice and try and give them, you know, a home to write about or to podcast about, you know, their. Um, their opinions, right? So you come out, we hope at the end of the day with, um, with a wide variety of viewpoints, you know, more speech, not less, right? We want, Mm -hmm. we don't want to shut someone out because they're negative, right? We want to give them a home to be negative at right next to the person who's always positive. Mm Mm-hmm. That's, that's a balanced way of doing it. You know, you can't, I love Disney. That doesn't mean, and I think this is another important fact when it comes to all this coverage is, you know, there's what you think and then what you're putting out there and they can be different. I think I've been accused sometimes of, you know, being the type of person who says that Disney can do no wrong. And I would admit that that's probably the impression that I put out there. It's less because I really think they can do no wrong and more of like, because this is all a fandom and this is stuff I enjoy, I just tend to gravitate towards focusing on the things that I like that they're doing. You know, um, you're never going to see me do a video on the history of pizza Rizzo because I just don't really care about pizza Rizzo. And I don't think the pizza is good. Um, but because I never cover that sort of thing, you might get the impression that like I enjoy it because you only ever hear about the things that I do enjoy. And I think with the, the blog space, it could be very similar if you're not careful and you only have people who are focusing on the positive. So it's important to, I guess, have that balance when you're covering news, you know? But, you know, it's really hard to get people who are like, oh, I don't like it at all. Hey, how about you come write about something you hate? <laughs> you know, <there's- laughs> yeah, it, there are certain types out there who are who totally love that sort of thing, though. And for them, I you know, all the best. You know, and I, I think that you know, it's funny because I feel like, you know, as you read something, like, if you get sucked into, like, the world of, like, the negative reporting, that can kind of rub off on you 
until you go and read something that's, you know, from another point of view. And for sure, I, I think that's funny because, you know, I have to I, I try to read everything. Right. You know, I, I probably wake up and read every Disney blog that there is right in the course of a given day. So I cannot be missing out on what we need to be writing about. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it's funny how like your opinion can wildly swing depending on what source you're reading. Like, you know, uh, yeah. you know, you read a, a mice chat weekly update. Right. And they'll be focusing on how like the paint's chipping everywhere. Right. And then you go read a report from like, uh, blog Mickey or something, and it's there's nothing about that, right? And that does sway how you think about the parks. Oh, for sure, and that's why I I tend to not like personally. Uh, I joke that I don't care about most Disney news because uh, it's not going to impact what I do until it's twenty years old or so. Uh, but I. I tend to, because my love is of the parks themselves, I, my stance is usually like, if it's something new, I'll run into it in the parks or I won't. Or, you know, we, we, I cover the bare minimum of news when I do my podcast with Christine, but beyond that, um, I try to just focus, you know, I don't know. It's weird. It's, it's like almost like a different set of expectations. You know, if I think of real world news and like just local and, nationwide and global, you know, politics and happenings, you know, I think it's important to be informed and to know what's going on. But when you get into like a, the small niche of like sort of theme park entertainment, I think it kind of makes it a little bit more relaxed where you can go, well, you can focus on the things you like and ignore the things you don't. And that's kind of okay. Like, I don't think you have to be as rounded towards it. So having all these different sites kind of gives you that opportunity. Right. Um, you know, Rob, uh, we we look at your videos every week, and we look at Christine's videos every week, and and we just really think it's it's really cool that y'all's content is for a great for um is evergreen, right? You know, and we we talk with Christine, and you know, we put her videos on our site, we embed them, um, and and we we like that because because like planning content and history content that doesn't get old, right? Yeah. It very rarely gets old. Yeah, and what we're put, putting out from you know, the core, you know, handful of people that write with us, you know, it's it's in a week, it's garbage, right? Because it's no longer it's no longer relevant. Right? And, and here you are putting out this evergreen content and and that's not really something we can do. So we really think that that's that's quite something. <laughs> It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, everything's got its pros and its cons. That certainly is a pro of history is that it's mostly evergreen. And I try to go the extra step and I will rarely, I'll rarely reference in a video, another video of mine, because I treat every script as if this is your first time on my channel. And that could be a detriment to those who watch regularly because I mean, there was a point where even I looked back at my, like, you know, maybe a month or two worth of videos and go, and this is like the fourth time I've explained what Epcot is or the history of Epcot and how it was supposed to be a city. But I do that in every script because I, I never want to assume that the person watching has also seen my Epcot video. So I kind of have to add that extra context, which adds a little bit more to the work that I'm doing. But I think on top of that, there's also, it becomes a little bit harder to find those topics that grab people's interest because it's, uh, 
based on history, you know, whereas I think with news, you have a lot of people who will, like you said, you wake up, you read all the blogs every morning, you know, and while I think of what's happening with the parks, that's a pretty common, you know, trend for people. I don't think there are a lot of people who go, all right, well, I want to wake up and figure out what happened in 94 in Epcot, you know, so uh, it, you do have to find these stories that are really attention grabbing and interesting in a way that will pull people in because, you know, I can't count on that many people looking up like obscure festivals that happened at Epcot in the eighties, you know, because uh, I don't think many people are searching for that uh, the way they will for news for, you know, what's going on with like galaxy's edge and stuff like that. So it's, it's, they all have their pros and their cons for sure. Well, Rob, we, we greatly appreciate you giving us um, your time. Um, we've been planning this, unbeknownst to the viewer, for, what, about six months now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just never lined up, and, and we'd love to collaborate with you um, on some stuff in the future, and we can talk about that, you know, off air. But um, yeah. we just think that the content you put out is really awesome, and we think it it complements the news content, right? Not just our news content, but any news content, whether you're reading DSNY Newscast or WDWNT, right? There is a, a place for history content amongst that, right? I mean, there's a reason why some people's favorite app to check every morning is an On This Day in History app. Right. And yeah, that's a really good idea. That's a really good idea. <laughs> um, I mean, history is important and you learn a lot from it. And, you know, it's important to remember these parks. They didn't just the, the parks as they are today. Didn't it's not how they were built. You know, they're the, they're the, the product of decades. Um, I mean, over half a century with Disneyland of, of evolution and happenings and, you know, I think a lot of times if you ask, you know, when you're in the park, why is this the way it is? The answer is some sort of piece of history out there. So that's why I love telling those stories. Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can uh, where can the listeners find you? Uh, well, thanks for having me. Uh, they can find me on YouTube. I'm under Rob Plays or at YouTube.com slash Rob Plays That Game. And they could also find me on Twitter at Rob Place. You can find us at Monorail News on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Gray Hauser, that's Gray with an A, on Twitter and Instagram as well. We greatly appreciate you listening. You can leave us feedback through Anchor Voice Messages, or you can call our Google Voice number at... You know what? Just leave us an anchor voice message this week. Um, I don't have the number pulled up. That's awful planning. Thank you so much for listening, and we greatly appreciate you as always. Have a great week.